Hello, welcome to Adapt, the show that's all iPad, all the time. This is episode 7. My name is Ryan Christoffel, and I'm joined by my co-host Federico Vitici. How are you, Federico? I'm great, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing good. I, I'm kind of shocked that it's August already, which means that September is right around the corner, which maybe you don't want to think about considering the big review that I know you're working mm. on. I don't want to think about that uh, because it is a big review. It's, um, we're going to talk about it. I thought I was going to be shorter, but uh, you know, when, when my expectations are meeting reality, <laughs> it's never fun. <laughs> Well, it's in a year that has iPad one. OS and shortcuts and all the other things uh-huh. Apple has done, that's that's no surprise. And you know, also that other thing, you know, called the iPhone. There's also a bunch of changes there. So it's really sort of like two reviews in one. But I don't want to talk about it now. But yes, it, it is August, and in previous years, September, uh, mid September has been when Apple usually releases all of the software updates and developers release app updates and new apps. So in theory, we should have the same pattern this year as well of mid-September. Maybe not. I don't know. The beta is in a rougher state than usual. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but in the context of it's August and we've been using the beta for a couple of months at this point since June, um, we thought it would be interesting and sort of fun to recap um, some of our reflections about um, iPadOS 13. Uh, I've used it on my 12.9-inch uh, iPad Pro and then the 11-inch iPad Pro since June. It's been a couple of months, and I, you know, we 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 wanted to discuss sort of uh, our general thoughts and feelings on it. Um, Ryan, would you say that? Let me ask you. Would you say that your happy so far with this release with with the changes that you know uh that that you've seen in your everyday workflow with iPadOS 13 yeah i'm definitely happy it's i mean like you alluded to with the the length of your review it sounds like there is a lot that's changed mm-hmm. there's a lot that is you know for iOS as a whole that applies to the iPhone as well but for the iPad i mean there there are a ton of changes and there are a lot of things that are different that I'm still getting used to, but for the most part, it's just changes I am excited about and that are making my life better day to day, getting rid of some of the pain points that I felt in past years. So yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And I, But I'm curious to know what, what kind of changes you're still getting used to. So like multi-window, the, for example? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you, you nailed it. Uh, multi-window mm-hmm. is still a struggle. I There's a couple of specific reasons why. One is that, uh, as we talked about on a recent episode when we were discussing the changes to multitasking and multi-window, there are some screens where you see all the windows that you have open for yeah. a given app, but you can't close those windows from that screen. Um, So I I believe this applies if, for example, you are putting an app into a split view. So let's say I've got Safari open and I grab notes and I put it over to the side and put it next to Safari in a split view. If I have multiple windows open for notes, I will see all those windows so that I can Mm. choose one of those. Yeah. And it it looks like App Expose. It looks like Mm. what you would see if, say, you already have notes open and you 
tap the notes button in your dock potentially you would see other you know other versions other instances of notes um mm. but in this specific instance when you're adding it to a split view i can't you know swipe up to close some of those windows that i forgot existed and that i don't need anymore uh, i can only pick one of those to choose as my you know then split view app whereas in other instances like if you hit show all windows which is an, an option if you you know long press on an app icon um it, you can close them from there you you can see all your windows in that expose view and close them and for me that that makes no sense that you can do that from one view and not the other even though they look very similar uh and then beyond that just the I, I still don't I still don't keep in mind which windows I have open when and it's just it's just complicated. It it's you know, I, I like the fact that multi window enables having set app spaces containing different mm -hmm. instances of an app. So I can have different notes in different fixed spaces, which is great. But just keeping up with all the windows that I have open that I don't necessarily realize I had open. And, you know, sometimes when you have a window open, it will let you access the full rest of the app. And sometimes it's just that one part of the app and you kind of have to close it to get back to other, like, for example, if you're, you know, browsing through different folders that you have in notes. Um, I keep mentioning notes because I use that app a lot, but you know, sometimes you'll see a close button to close the window and sometimes it will, you know, have your full note list there and your folders and you can go back and navigate through different things. I, it's just, it's a, it's confusing. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I, I'm not quite fully on board. I'm on board with the idea of having multiple instances of an app, but mm -hmm. the way that it's done here, I, I'm just not using it as much as I think I would if it were done a little bit differently. Yeah, I think you pretty much just described um, the all of the criticisms that I've that I've shared in in a section of my review. Um, there's a, I think there's a bunch of fundamental problems at play with multi window in Apple OS 13. Um, the first one is that there's a there's a sort of a disconnect between this new system uh, that lets you create multiple windows. Um, and, uh, which is a system that, in theory, lends itself well to the idea of, well, if I can open multiple windows, that it means I can create multiple workspaces that I, that I often go back to. But the problem is, you cannot make those workspaces um, as permanent or you know, make them favorites, make them pinned to, you know, to the multitasking UI. So you can create multiple spaces, you can create multiple instances of the same app. For example, I have a workspace that is the adapt note that we use to create notes for this podcast combined with my adapt listing reminders. And that's a space that, you know, I, also, I, al I always have other reminders windows open. I always have other notes windows open. But these two, I want to keep close together. But I feel like it's, it's still so easy. Because the entire system is based on the iOS 11 design, it's still so easy to accidentally, quote-unquote, destroy this space. And, and so that's one of the problems of it is, you know, it, the theory, the idea itself would play well with the idea of letting me cre create and assign my favorite spaces. 
but that's still not possible yet. And the other problem which you which you mentioned is, to my count, there are like five different ways to open Windows and four sort of four or five different versions or flavors of a picker UI, whether it's an app picker or a window picker. There's a lot of different UIs that are so, sort of similar to each other, but they behave slightly differently from each other. And that's that, that I think is a usability problem. If not, a, you know, it's sort of the whole thing sort of feels over-engineered in places. Um, and so I, you know, and c- combining these two problems that I have with the fact that not all apps yet support multi-window, um, th- I am happy that, that I can open multiple windows and I'm using this feature uh, even though it's not perfect. I am using it. I just feel like it's some somewhat clunky and not as efficient as Apple would like it to be. It's almost as if they designed, you know, they had this idea for multi-window two years ago with iOS 11 and it didn't ship and now they shipped it, but it's still stuck on that design foundation. And I wonder if there's maybe a better way to, you know, to to let you manage your windows. You, you cannot even search your windows, for example. All you can do is open Expose, but you need to manually look at each window and see what it's like. You cannot even, you know, in the... There's a bunch of problems that I'm going to talk about in my review. But yeah, I totally agree with you on this. And it's definitely not all bad because... No, it's not. One of the things that is most exciting to me about iPadOS 13 is multi-window. So... It's not that you know we're we're saying we don't want multi-window. It's just that there is a lot of functionality that's unlocked and a lot of things that it makes possible, which is great. And I think you and I probably both use it a lot. It's just because we use it a lot, we run into these mm. you know inelegancies more often, yeah, perhaps than yeah. some users would. Yeah, totally. I agree. i I think it's an excellent idea. It's an excellent feature. It is helping me work better and faster on my iPad. It's just easier for me to come across all of these little problems and these maybe usability problems that should be addressed in a future in a future design. Um, that said, uh, I think we mentioned it before. I am super excited about um, the other major feature I think in this release, which would be shortcuts. Um, just this week, I've been. Uh, well, I've been finalizing the iPad chapter of my review and I'm uh, getting ready to write about shortcuts. But before I do that, um, I would like to wait a little more for the automation feature, for example, to come back. Um, and in the, in the, at the moment, I'm sort of collecting all of these ideas that I have for different shortcuts that I would like to share as free examples in my review, but also as special extras for members of Club Mac stories. And um, something that I keep, that I keep you know, sort of uh, coming up with is the idea of thanks to third-party apps and parameters in shortcuts, it is now effectively possible to make shortcuts that have custom features not built by Apple, but actually built by developers that as long as the user has the app installed, they're going to make shortcuts way more powerful and they're going to let you run a shortcut within the shortcuts app, but with this custom functionality. So let's say, for example, that um, I want to make a shortcut that lets you upload a photo or an HTML file 
to your web server using FTP. Normally, uh, I wouldn't be able to do this because Shortcuts doesn't have an FTP action. But in September, if Anders Borum releases uh, the iOS 13 update of Secure Shellfish that I'm testing, I could be able to share. I should be able to share a shortcut called Upload Photo to FTP that uses incorporates the Secure Shellfish Upload File action that uses parameters in the new Shortcuts app, and that effectively becomes a native FTP shortcut that doesn't use URL schemes, doesn't take you out of the Shortcuts app, it incorporates a feature of a third-party app thanks to parameters. And that, to me, is an extremely exciting change because it is the kind of uh, extensible automation that I've always wanted from Workflow before and then Shortcuts. Uh, Apple may have not called it a Shortcuts API, but it is effectively what it is. It's a way for developers to plug into Shortcuts, extend Shortcuts, and allow you to have these custom functionalities that you wouldn't otherwise have unless you were to exit the Shortcuts app, the shortcut app and, and use another third-party app. And developers can make all kinds of, uh, developers can make all kinds of features now. Um, I've seen, for example, Steve Transmith on Twitter uh, tease a command line app that he's been making. So like a terminal for iPad that supports shortcuts actions with parameters. And I'm testing so many other apps that already have parameters. Um, for example, Lookup, which is the excellent dictionary app that I think both of us use. Uh, they're adding shortcuts actions with parameters so that you can pass a word to the Lookup engine and you can look it up, you can get a definition. And then if you want, you can use another shortcuts action with parameters to add one of those definitions to you to a collection. And it's just... You know, you have all these new possibilities that were impossible before, and now they are with a secure system that is private, that runs within the Shortcuts app, and that just has a UI. It's, it's not based on X callback URL or any of that stuff. Yeah, I've started playing around with some of the betas that I'm on, and it is neat. Like you said, the ability to really create your own features for apps yeah, uh, or create your own features for the system that incorporate different parameters from different apps and the way that you can integrate all that together, it, it really does unlock a lot of possibilities and it, it makes iOS feel like it's taking a big step forward in automation possibilities. So there's, there's a lot of good coming. There's some things that we're not as excited about. Um, mm. I, I see here that there are some things you have in our show notes document that you're disappointed about with iPadOS 13. Uh, what what are some of those things? Well, the uh, I have a few things that I that I really wanted to see this year. Um, I I keep saying this, but I really really need to be able to organize my shortcuts with folders. And I cannot believe that you know workflow came out five years ago in 2014. I really can't believe that they still haven't added, especially now that they work at Apple. Um, uh, the ability to organize your shortcuts in folders, especially for power users. I feel like there's so many power user features in shortcuts. Like, you can run JavaScript in Safari. You can issue requests using an SSH action, but you still cannot organize your shortcuts in folders. Like, don't, I don't get the argument that people are saying, well, but that's because folders are a power user feature. I mean, 
yeah, look at shortcuts. <laughs> it is full of power user features. So folders I'm, I'm disappointed about. Um, this is not necessarily something that I'm disappointed, but I still would have liked to see this feature. I'm not as annoyed by its absence as folders, though. Uh, there would be no custom smart lists in Reminders. The Reminders has this feature called smart lists now, but they are smart in the sense that they aggregate specific reminders uh, using specific filters. So you have four buttons at the top of the new Reminders app, one to see all tasks, one to see reminders due today, scheduled reminders, and flagged reminders. Um, and that's fine. I've been using the today and scheduled views a lot, but I really would like to create my own smart views, my own smart lists, and I don't get why sort of it's, it sort of feels like institutionally Apple is against any sort of smart list or saved search functionality on iOS. Um, you know, apps like uh, Mail, for example, or the Finder, they've offered uh, smart folders and saved searches on the Mac for decades, I want to say at this point, but we still have to see a similar feature on iOS. And and I was hoping that maybe with reminders, with this idea of you can cr you you can have quick access to a subset of your reminders at the very top of the sidebar. I was hoping that maybe users would be able to create their own shortcuts or you know buttons to put up there, but that's still not possible. So you can only use the the ones provided by Apple. Maybe in the future. And the the other feature that. I understand why it's not a priority, but I'm still sort of bummed about it. And I really hope that it's, you know, in the cards for iPadOS 14, better integration with external displays. Um, the iPad uh, is still, despite the fact that it's got a USB-C port that in theory should support output to 5K displays, even though that's debatable, but that's another topic. Um, but it still defaults to mirroring its display to an external monitor. It doesn't work like on a Mac, where you can actually manage your displays and you can say, yeah, I want to see this window on this display and I want to see something else on this other monitor. And I would like it if iPadOS worked the same way, especially now that you can have multiple instances of the same app. It should be possible to say, I want to keep this window on the main iPad screen, but I want to keep this other window on the external monitor. And there's, there should be some kind of you know, way to fill the entire display, not to have that pillar boxing uh, that you, you you may have seen in photos that I've shared of my iPad setup with the ultra-fine 4K display that I have. So in the future, especially now that we have some kind of way to interact with apps using a pointing device, um, it would be very nice if Apple said you can now use your iPad with an external monitor, and it doesn't default to mirroring the display. You can actually manage your display as a separate space, and you can drag and drop windows between displays, and then you can use a pointing device. Uh, but I understand if Apple wants to release that feature when pointing devices are not an accessibility feature, but actually something that is well integrated into UIKit, into the entire system. So I can wait, but I can still be disappointed about it. Yeah, I don't feel like I have Many other disappointments. I mean, the things that you mentioned would be nice to have. And like I said, multi-window has some things that I hope get worked out in the future. Uh, I do want to mention, though, on, the, on a more positive note, 
kind of a, a feature that I consider the the underdog or the underappreciated feature of iPadOS that really di- wasn't given much attention at WWDC when mm. is it, uh, fonts? it was first announced. <laughs> it, it's not fonts. Okay. Um, it's, it's context menus. And I know we've talked a, a little bit about them in the past, but you know, I, for a long time, have been a big fan of 3D Touch on my iPhone, which is why initially when rumors started to circulate in the last year or two that 3D Touch was going away, I was really disappointed. I use it for, you know, peek and pop, but I use it for like the quick actions on the home screen with different apps. And now having context menus, both on iPhone and iPad, where you get a very similar experience, you you long press on a link or a photo or whatever it may be, and you get this list of actions, just like the quick actions um, previously on 3D Touch iPhones. And you get a preview, like a peak preview of the content itself. Like combining both of those things and bringing them to the iPad has been just a tremendous change for me because it, it unlocks a whole new layer of functionality where, you know, a, an iPad doesn't have a menu bar, which offers lots of controls typically on a Mac. Uh, you can choose from all these different menus, which aren't there on the iPad. And yet now, because of context menus, you, you know, just about any UI element that a developer wants to hide a context menu behind, they can do that. They can give you all these additional actions, all this additional functionality, just with a long press on something. And I have found that to be one of the most significant improvements and the improvements that I've enjoyed the most uh, each day in my iPad use. And you know, coming out of WWDC, you know, it was mentioned, but I don't think I had any idea how beneficial that would be to my everyday workflow. So that's something that I'm, I'm excited about. And I'm hopeful as developers update their, their apps for iPadOS 13, that we'll see a lot of exciting changes in apps that, you know, opens new functionality and makes apps more powerful. Mm. Yeah, I agree. They're really well done. Uh, There's a quite a long section on them in my review so should be fun yeah okay so before we i know i need to talk about my challenge and how i did for that this week but before we do that you know summing up these kind of reflections on ipad os so far if you could put a theme on this release what would you say mm. that theme is hmm. well i, I don't want to sp- sort of spoil too much what a the sort of the idea and the the whole theme behind my review, but I would say that I think more than ever we're seeing Apple realizing having this new awareness of just how much iOS has become more than just an operating system, a platform, and that was true before, but I think with the especially now with the split of iOS and iPadOS. The idea of balancing features between the iPhone and the iPad and this awareness of the fact that iOS is not just the operating system for the iPhone. It is something more. It is something that is underlying a bunch of devices and a bunch of services. That's what makes iOS 13 and iPadOS 13 different um, from before, but also interesting to and, and really fascinating to see what effect does a feature in iOS have on the rest of the ecosystem. That that would be 
that would be the theme of this release that I'm that I'm trying to analyze and and discuss in the review. Yeah, and I would say specifically for the iPad itself, it seems like this is the release where you know, Apple has been taking notes for years of all of the the reasons that people have given for why the iPad can't become someone's main computer, uh, why mm. it can't replace a Mac, for instance, and they've just in one release, tried to check off all those boxes, having you know Safari be a full desktop class browser, having things like uh, external USB drive support in the Files app. Uh, all those little and big things that have been pain points for people and have prevented people from giving a full endorsement to the iPad as a computer replacement. It seems like Apple is just trying to you know knock all those out in one release and and it's great because you know moving forward into the future what then will they be able to focus on that mm. you know up until now they've kind of been playing catch up trying to obviously there's lots of ways and you and I both feel that the iPad is um is more appealing than using a Mac uh, we've both used it for years as our main computer but there are other ways that it has been playing catch up and it seems like after this year most of those important things will have been taken care of. And so it makes me wonder what's next, right? What, what's coming in iPadOS 14 now that Apple has taken care of these common complaints? There's still some more they could do, but I, you know, I'm interested to see what new directions the iPad can go with things like you know, USB drives taken care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right, Ryan, uh, last episode, I challenged you, uh, a different kind of challenge, really, but I wanted you to optimize Apple Mail or the Apple Mail app for iPad, optimize it to your needs as much as possible, and maybe come back to me with some good tips and tricks about Mail. And I'm really curious to know how it went, because I've also been using Mail uh, with iPadOS and iOS 13, so. How did it go? Well, in some ways, it was an easy challenge because I am already pretty familiar with mail. I have used it for a long time. I did learn some new things tackling this challenge, and I tried to use the app in new ways because, you know, being challenged to use an app that I'm already using isn't much of a challenge. So I, I kind of put it on myself to try out all the different features that mail offers so that I could you know, share it with you. You said you wanted tips and tricks, and you know, mail honestly on on iOS and on the iPad, it is a pretty simple and straightforward app. There are a lot more complicated email apps out there. So from that standpoint, you could say it was kind of a hard challenge to complete because you wanted me to give you tips and tricks, and I don't know how many I'll be able to give you, but mm-hmm. hopefully there's something beneficial that comes from this. Um, before I really talk about the the app itself, I want to share a little bit of background on my email habits. Um, I usually use an iCloud email account for the bulk of my email. Um, I have a couple of Gmail accounts as well. And so I set up one of those Gmail accounts in mail for this challenge because most of the time I just use iCloud. Um, but in this case, I did use both accounts just to see, you know, what, how does mail function when you have multiple accounts set up, which I know lots of people like to use multiple accounts in the same app. 
I'm a little different in that way in that historically I've used mail for my primary email account, which is iCloud. And then I use different apps for the Gmail accounts that I have. But that said, I did use both in this case. And one of the other ways I like to use my email is I tend to organize my emails into folders if they are things that I think I'm ever going to want to reference later. I know that kind of the Gmail approach is archive everything and you search. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's just that I've never gotten used to that or it just doesn't quite work with the way my brain prefers to do things. But I sometimes have trouble thinking of search terms to come up with. It's much easier for me and simpler for me to put it in a folder and then know which folder to go to later. And maybe I'll search, but then I can search within that folder. So that said, mail does let you create new folders. Um, it, It calls them mailboxes. And you can have multiple nested levels of folders. So you can put a mailbox within a mailbox within a mailbox if you'd like to. And one of the advantages of this approach for me with email is that I do that same thing I use that same structure of organization for other apps. So for example, both notes and files, I have folders that I use. I'm not a big tag person. I don't rely on search very much. I tend to organize my notes, organize my documents into folders. And the way that I have things set up, there are certain, let's say high level um, folders that I use across files and notes and mail that are the same. So like I have one that's family. I have one that is school. Um, I have you know these different folders that are the same across the different apps that I use. And that just makes it really easy for me to manage my files and manage my email. And uh, it's not like different systems for different apps. I can use the same structure no matter which app I'm using. Now, regarding mail specifically, uh, there's... A number of features I want to mention that I use regularly and that I like a lot. Uh, One of them is the idea of uh, pinning a mailbox, uh, which Apple Apple calls this mailbox shortcuts, which I feel like is an outdated name that's been there for a few Mm. years and is now a little confusing because there's such a thing as shortcuts, the shortcuts app. But if you think about, let's say in Apple Notes, you can pin different notes. Well, you can do that same thing with mailboxes where those mailboxes will be um, stuck to the top of the list. So whether that is um, a mailbox that is a particular folder you created or something as simple as your sent folder, your inbox, you can pin those to the top so that they're right there, easily accessible at all times. Uh, You do this by tapping the edit button, which is in the top right of the mailbox view. And then you'll see the screen where all the mailboxes have to their left a checkbox and every mailbox that's checked is then pinned. You can rearrange them in whatever order you want, which you can't actually do with standard mailboxes. So if you have, let's say, a bunch of folders like I do, they are organized alphabetically in your mailbox list, but you can't change that. Whereas with pinned mailboxes, once they are saved as these shortcuts uh, at the top of the screen, you can rearrange them in whatever order you'd like. So like I said, you can put things like your drafts mailbox there, your archive mailbox, but then there's also these special mailbox types that the mail app offers called smart mailboxes. Mm -hmm. There's 
uh, a smart mailbox for flagged messages. There's one for today. So just the emails um, that arrive today. Uh, emails with attachments. Uh, emails from VIPs. You can set up all these different smart mailboxes that kind of like the smart list and reminders you were mentioning a minute ago, just consolidate different messages that fit under a specific heading. Uh, if you have multiple accounts configured, there are also smart mailbox options for, let's say, all sent. So all messages that you've sent, regardless of the email account you sent them from. Now, me personally, while I love pin mailboxes, and I use them a lot. I don't really use any of these smart mailboxes because I honestly don't get a whole lot of email. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah. For my personal account, which is what I have historically used the mail app for, I probably get like 20 emails a day. And mm. a number of those I can just delete and um, you know, I don't need to hold on to them. Or I might throw them into a folder. The pin mailboxes that I use are, I have the inbox at the very top, I also have a folder called soon, which is where I throw messages that I know I'm going to need to look at again pretty soon in the future, but I don't want to store them in some other folder where really I, I, I keep messages that are not going to be looked at for some time. So soon is there, and then I have a few other folders that I regularly access Another feature I really like is swipe actions. Mm -hmm. uh, you can customize these in settings, and there's a swipe to the left and swipe to the right. Uh, I use these actions to move my messages and to delete them. Um, one thing that's nice about moving messages and putting them in folders is that a couple of years back, iOS added the ability to offer suggestions for which folder you might want to put a message in. And so if, for example, messages from a particular sender always go in your personal folder, then the next time you swipe right to move a message, it will give you the option front and center to move the message into that folder. So it kind of learns from your behavior in that way. Mm -hmm. um, rich notifications are another feature that I love. You can view the full message that you receive right from the notification. And uh, this is done partly because of the ways that Apple has implemented WebKit to mail. And they did this, I think it was last year, and kind of marketed it as a way to better view email on the Apple Watch. Because now on the watch, if you get a mail notification, even if it has, you know, HTML as part of it, you can view that full message right there and on your yeah. wrist. And in a similar way on the iPad or on the iPhone, you can view the full message no matter how complicated it may be. Uh, the only drawback for that is that there's a bit of a delay when loading these messages. So if I get a notification and let's say I use 3D Touch to push in and view the full message, it, it takes a couple seconds before it loads, which I kind of understand, but on the other hand, I have the most current hardware. I have the 2018 iPad Pro. I have iPhone XS Max. I feel like for a feature like this, there should be some way that it you know, doesn't require that extra weight. Mm -hmm. But th there may be nothing that can be done about that. A few other quick features. You can 
Um, optionally organize messages by thread or not, which I do. I like to have my messages organized by thread and I keep the most recent message on the top of the thread. You can, if you want, have it at the bottom. Um, I love the three pane mode on the 12.9 inch yes. iPad Pro where you can view your list of mailboxes and your list of messages and the selected message itself. So there's three different sections of the screen that are used and it makes great use of the iPad's bigger screen. And then one really small thing that I use all the time and love is that if you are moving messages, let's say from your inbox to a folder using drag and drop, then as you are holding the message over one of your folders, it, the, the little preview of that message turns into an envelope icon. Yes. And it's this really special little touch that you really don't see in any other apps or very few that you know apps can do with drag and drop where it converts to kind of give you an idea of what you're doing with that content. And I just love seeing that envelope animation every time I move a message over with drag and drop. It's great. Now, that's all the ways that I use the app a lot and I enjoy mm -hmm. it. But I know that people approach email in all kinds of different ways. And so I wanted to mention a few things that could be useful to others, even if their email habits are a little different than mine. I tend to get notifications for all my email from my personal account, because like I said, there's, there aren't that many messages coming in throughout the day. But for people who don't like getting notifications for email, there are a few options within mail where you can only enable notifications for certain messages or certain threads. So for example, if you are writing an email, then inside the subject line, there's a little bell icon that you can tap, which will activate notifications for when someone responds to that message, which is a really neat feature. If there's an email mm -hmm. that's really important, you're waiting for a response, you want a notification for it, you can turn it on from there. Uh, if you are reading a message that's already in your inbox, you can tap the flag icon and then hit notify me to get notifications for future activity in that thread. Um, they've changed that a little bit in iPadOS. So if you're on iPadOS 13 or iOS 13, then that flag icon is gone. And what was formerly the reply button, it now is used to load this kind of custom panel that offers several different actions in it. It's almost like the action extension section of the share sheet but without the share sheet part of it, yeah. which I don't understand why Apple still doesn't want to put the full share sheet into mail, but that's what they've decided to do. So you can, from that, um, what looks like a reply icon, see the option to then notify you for a given thread. Uh, another thing you can do is you can set custom notification settings for VIPs. Uh, I don't use VIPs in mail, but that's an option if you you know, want to give a special designation to certain senders, you can do that and then you can have special notification settings for them. Um, mail also offers some filtering options. So whenever you're viewing any given mailbox, such as the inbox or a specific folder, you can tap the filter button, which is in the lower left corner of the screen to turn on or turn off different filter options. Uh, you can filter by unread or flagged. Um, emails that you were CC'd on versus emails that were sent to you directly in the two line. 
Uh, and you can also filter just mail with attachments or just mail from VIPs or just mail that was sent today. So if you are, let's say, an email power user and you're getting hundreds of messages and you really need to have easy ways to filter them, that filter option is, um, is the way to do it. And then finally, I, I want to mention a feature that for many years in Apple Mail was kind of the, the bane of mail users' existence, which is search. If you have used search for a long time in mail, you know that at one point it was terrible. Uh, it, it used to be this slow process where it would take a long time to pull in messages. And even after it did take its time, often it would miss messages that clearly should have fit the search parameters. I'm not sure why it was so messed up in the past, but if you haven't tried it in a while, these last few years, Apple has really fixed search in mail, at least in my experience. It works really well now. It's really fast. It pulls in the results that I would expect. And so if that's something that has kept you away from mail, know that it is a lot better than it used to be. Well, there's uh, a lot of information here. I think you've... uh... I think you've done a pretty good job, actually, um, Ryan. In in see, the thing about mail for me is that it's a really nicely done iOS app. It's really elegant, and and the way that it loads text and you know rich text from email messages is really nicely done. It's got the you know the, it's the most native UI that I would want from an email client. It does annoy me that I'm one of those people for whom search is still a bit slow, especially compared to Gmail, for example. If you use the native Gmail app, then search is blazing fast. And in Apple Mail, it's still, it's much better than it used to be. At one point, it was unusable for me, but it's so much better. Like, it's still so much better in Gmail. The thing that really gets under my skin and and you know it really annoys me because otherwise i mean i've been using mail for two months at this point and i'm you know i i only open spark when i want to share something with you guys with the sharing feature i really would like to be able to create my own saved searches i know that i keep bringing this up but it's a feature of the mac version that i really like you know the ability to have saved searches or rules, for example, which are only possible on the Mac. I would really like to see those features on iOS as well. Uh, and about the share sheet, something that you can do now in, in iOS 13 and iPadOS, you can select the subject line and uh, in mail and then hit share. And when you hit share, uh, if you choose reminders, you will be able to create a reminder that has a native deep link that reopens that messaging mail. There's gonna be a little mail icon, sort of, sort of how, like when you uh, ask Siri to remind you about an email message, you say, remind me about this. Um, doing that with the subject line, selecting the text and then sharing to reminders will embed the same type of deep link that you would otherwise get with Siri. So that for me has been a, huge change in that I can now natively turn messages into tasks without having to ask Siri. And that's been a huge positive for me. Um, I would like to see feature parity with the Mac version. That's my main complaint about mail. But otherwise, oh, and yeah, I guess, do you know, Ryan, if there's a any functional, not visual, but functional difference 
between the different colors of flags that you can now use in mail? Not that I'm aware of. I, I think they're just there to offer a little variety, kind of like a tagging system. But yeah, I, I don't think that there's any difference. I could be wrong, but that's my understanding. So no functional difference. Yeah, I would have liked to, you know, like assign a meaning to each flag and say like the orange flag is for Club Mac stories and the red one is for everything else. Well, whatever. Uh, but yeah, um, is there anything else you would like to share about mail? No, I mean, I, I think that's, that about does it. Like I said, it, it is a pretty simple and straightforward app. I agree it would be great to have feature parity with the Mac version. And maybe since Catalyst is a thing now, maybe Apple will build up the iPadOS version to where they can eventually add lots of the features from the Mac and bring that app to the Mac. Um, who knows? We'll see. There are some interesting changes that I believe have gone on under the hood with mail in iOS 13. Uh, I was listening actually to the talk show the other day where uh, Marco Arment was talking with John Gruber about how mail has been a bit of a mess through this beta cycle so far. And uh, I guess he had heard that lots of the app was rewritten for one reason or another. And there have been some issues that I've run into during the betas, which is a little strange considering that not much of the functionality has actually changed from iOS 12 to iOS 13 for mail. But um, hopefully those issues will be worked out. And it does make me curious about Apple's future plans for the app. Maybe they've done some mm -hmm. restructuring so that they can start to actually add new features, which they haven't done much in a while. Um, mm -hmm. That said, though, it there is something um, there's something to be said for mail simplicity. There, there are yes. lots of other mail apps that have come and gone over the years, and most of them offer more functionality than mail does in a variety of ways, but they have all these other issues, or maybe they don't work consistently, and mail, despite the fact that it's missing some things that lots of users would like, uh, let's say a snooze option, perhaps, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. um, some other power user features, it still is a pretty solid app overall. Um, despite the fact that it hasn't changed that much over the years, I've been pretty happy with it. And I'm guessing there are a lot of people who are pretty happy with it as the default app. And you know, maybe Apple will bring some changes, but hopefully they can do that in a way that preserves the simplicity and the elegance of the app. Yeah. I really do like the new formatting menu in, in iOS 13 for formatting a message uh, that comes up at the bottom of the screen on iPhone. Got all the options for fonts and lists. Uh, it's very nice. Uh, but yeah, I think you, Ryan, I need to confirm and make it official. You passed the challenge. So good job. Oh, good. Oh, good. I was, I was worried there. No, no. You, pa you passed the challenge again. Uh, before we wrap up the show, I thought we could go through some hashtag askadapt questions. As a reminder, if you have a question for us, to that you would like to ask us uh send a tweet or an email i mean if you're using twitter use the hashtag askadapt otherwise just send us an email no need to use the hashtag in the in the email i guess and uh, we may answer your question on the show so ryan why don't you go first with the first askadapt question all right listener damon writes in to ask in ipad os do widgets appear when holding the ipad vertically or only in horizontal orientation what is the icon grid layout? So the number of app icons per row and the number of columns. Now, 
One thing that's nice about the way widgets have been incorporated into the iPadOS home screen is that whether you have the widgets pinned on the home screen or not, you can still fit the same number of apps. So in, in landscape orientation, which is what I use all the time, you can fit up to 30 apps on the screen with mm -hmm. the new layout. So mm -hmm. there's six columns, uh, five rows, and you can have up to 30 apps in addition to keeping your widgets pinned on the side of the screen. Yeah. Now, if you're using portrait orientation, you can't pin your widgets. So they still kind of can come in from the side, but mm. they can't be pinned, which is unfortunate. Um, but the number of icons and actually the arrangement of the icons stays the same, which is yeah. really a key change and improvement over past versions of iOS where changing the orientation between portrait and landscape would then change the arrangement of the apps. So an app that you had in one spot of the screen in portrait is then in a different part of the screen in landscape. And that is not the case anymore in iPadOS, which is a great change. Okay, Federico, here's a question for you from listener Michael. He says, in episode four, um, Federico, your breakdown of screenshots shows a syntax to download videos using ISH. Why would you do that rather than using a shortcut to download YouTube mm. videos? Well, that's because in my experience, all of those uh, YouTube downloader shortcuts or like social media downloader, they stop working eventually. After a while, they work for like the first couple of weeks and then they stop working. And I've used these shortcuts since when they used to be called workflows. And eventually they all stop working. And the thing about YouTube DL is also how, I mean, besides the fact that it's super well supported and it's got almost weekly updates, the developers really stay on top of the YouTube API and in how you can download uh, multiple versions of videos and all of that. It's really the most configurable and customizable downloading system for YouTube that you can find. I mean, you have hundreds of settings for video quality, audio quality, how you can mix and match different uh, video versions with different audio versions. Like you want to get the MP4 audio, but the 1080p MKV video, you can do that and you can mix and match them and you can end up with the same, with just one file for different video and audio tracks. You have settings for playlists. You have settings for... Um, downloading um, even live videos. There's something about that. There's a whole configuration page where you can see all of these different commands. Um, you can choose to skip videos if they don't have a specific video track or audio track inside. It is extremely power, you know, powerful and 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 designed for power users. Uh, and that is why. Even though some shortcuts exist, I prefer to use, if I'm forced to use it on the iPad, I will use ISH. Otherwise, um, I always have my Mac Mini running and I have a, an automation configured with Hazel so that when I put a link in a text file from my iPad, uh, Hazel on the Mac Mini uses the shell to initiate a YouTube DL download of a YouTube video. And that is why, and, and I do that because I want to make sure that I can watch 4K YouTube videos. 
on my iPad using Plex because all of those videos, all of those video files get moved to my Plex library. And I would stop using this if Apple and YouTube came to an agreement on the video codec to use for 4K uh, video playback in the YouTube app for iOS. But unfortunately, they still haven't come to that agreement. So I'm using YouTube DL to download 4K videos and I'm watching them with Plex. Super, super highly recommended, really. Um, let me read a question for you, Ryan. Uh, listener Andrew writing over email. Again, you don't have to use Twitter. You can send us questions over email. Uh, Andrew wants to know, I was wondering if there, is, if there was a way to cancel an autocorrect suggestion without moving my hands off the external keyboard. On macOS, I would hit escape, but I haven't been able to figure out a way to do the same on iOS or iPadOS. Um, I, d- I do have a solution for this. Um, Ryan, do you know which one it is? I... Well, so there's no escape key on the smart mm-hmm. keyboard folio, which is what I use. I know that you can do command period as kind of a replacement yes. for escape. Although I don't think that, in my experience, that hasn't worked in every scenario. But but I don't know. What, what What's your answer? You've got the solution, right? Well, buy, buy a Bluetooth keyboard with an escape key. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that, or, that works. or in your case, buy a few of them, right? Buy, oh, come on. Yeah. So seriously, you can use command period. Command period is the sort of the iOS version of escape. It works in a bunch of apps. It works in a bunch of contexts. It's going to dismiss your uh, quick type suggestions as well. But really, if you have a Bluetooth keyboard that's got a native escape key, that maps correctly to escape on iOS as well. So if you tap escape, if you click escape, it's going to cancel your suggestions. So that works. Well, I I didn't need another excuse to buy a bridge keyboard, but all right. Um, one last question for both of us uh, from Sam. He writes in to ask, do either of you wonder how much of your work you could get done on the sixth generation iPad rather than using the iPad Pro? Um, for me, I would say, honestly, I could, I could definitely get a lot of my work done on the standard sixth generation iPad. Um, the current iPad lineup across the iPad, iPad mini, iPad Air, and Pro is is really strong right now. And certainly, if I were using a standard iPad, I would need a Bluetooth keyboard because I definitely rely on the hardware keyboard. Um, I'd probably get a smart cover as well to help kind of prop up the iPad by folding it over. But my biggest problem would probably be the screen size. Of course, the standard iPad still has the 9.7-inch display. And... I use multitasking a lot. I use split view a lot. And so I I could make it work. I'm sure I'd get used to it. But having the larger display of the 12.9-inch iPad Pro is the the biggest thing that would keep me wanting to use the Pro. I I don't think there's anything else hardware-wise that necessarily would contribute to making my work easier on the iPad Pro. It's mainly having the bigger display, and then, of course, I, I use the Smart Keyboard Folio, which isn't available for the standard iPad. Uh, what about you, Federico? All of that, all that you said also applies to me. I would add that the lack of a USB-C port would be a big problem for me. Uh, not just because I'm used to uh, outputting the um, display of my um, iPad Pro to the ultrafine 4K over USB-C because it's a USB-C display, but also because I've 
been buying a bunch of cables and adapters and USB drives that are all based on USB-C. And so going back to Lightning, I mean, besides the 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 the, the problem of sp- different transfer speeds, Lightning is, as far as I know, not as fast as USB-C, USB 3.1 Gen 2, which the iPad Pro supports. That will be that, but also it's just a matter of I'm going to have to use dongles for everything now. And I just prefer being able to buy any kind of Samsung or Western digi- digital drive that's based on USB-C that works both with my Mac Mini and the iPad Pro rather than, which is what I used to do in the past, having to buy lightning accessories and there's very limited choice and they tend to be expensive because of the lightning chip and certification that manufacturers need, need to follow. I very much prefer having an iPad with a USB-C port. And so the combination of screen size and the more, and for me, performance is also a problem. Sometimes I'm running these shortcuts that are dealing with dozens of heavy images, for example. And I can absolutely tell the difference between trying to do the same on a 9.7 iPad, which I still have, and an iPad Pro. So the combination of having the extra RAM, which helps for shortcuts and Safari, and having USB-C and a bigger display and the second generation pencil and the smart keyboard, all of those things taken together lead me to say, I could get work done on the, on the sixth generation iPad, but I wouldn't love it as much as I use the iPad Pro, and I would be severely limited in the choice of accessories that I have. Okay, so that's it for today's Ask Adapt. Uh, like we said, you can send a tweet with the hashtag AskAdapt, or if you'd like to email us, uh, you can go to relay.fm slash adapt. There is a contact button, and that will enable you to send us an email, and hopefully we will be able to answer your question on a future episode. Now, before we go... I'm already dreading this moment. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Federico, I-, I cannot top last episode and challenging you to use an iPad without touching it, and I'm not going to try. But I do want you to do something this next episode that could be useful for a lot of people in our line of work and maybe some people who aren't in our line of work but would benefit from it anyways, which is I want you to use your iPad to create a good transcript of this episode of Adapt. Oh, my God. So however you're going to do it, find some software. The, um, the whole I wouldn't episode- recommend... I want you to get the whole episode, yes. Oh, my God. So you, you can do it. Don't worry about it. it it'll be okay. I, Are there any rules on the type of software that I can use? As long as you run it from an iPad, then you will be well within the parameters of this challenge. Mm. Okay. Do you need more rules than that? No, no. Okay. okay. As long as I... When you say run it, Yes. Does it mean that it could be web based? Okay. It, it could be web based. That's fine. As but long it needs as... to be initiated from an iPad somehow. Yes. It needs okay. to be initiated and completed to where I, I don't want you touching a Mac or another device okay. as any okay. part of making this transcript. Okay. Okay. Fine. All right. So I'm I'm really curious to see how that goes. Um, transcription of podcasts is a kind of a mess 
in in the podcasting world at the moment. And I think that a lot of listeners could benefit from having transcripts, but they are just pretty difficult to obtain, especially good ones. So I'm I'm curious to see how this goes. Now, before we wrap up for today, do want to make a couple of quick announcements. Yes. I will make the first one, and you may have noticed that with Mac Stories and Club Mac Stories and my other podcasts, uh, we've been taking a couple of weeks off to recharge and spend some time with our families, but really organize and plan all of the things that we're going to do in September, and ADAPT is not an exception from that. We're going to take next um, the next episode off, so there will not be an episode of Adapt on August 22nd, but rest assured we'll be coming back on September 5th, so we will try to rest up a little, spend some time with our families, and really plan ahead for September. There's a lot of things that, both on Mac Stories and here on Adapt, that we want to share and discuss and cover for Apple's upcoming software releases, so uh, the next episode of Adapt will be coming out again on Thursday, September 5th. Do not uh, worry about us. We're just uh, recharging for the summer and uh, planning the whole September and October coverage. Now that said, our second announcement is that the month of August is membership month for Relay FM. Yes. And Adapt is a Relay FM show. And so we get to celebrate, in this case, Relay's fifth anniversary. Uh, so what that means is for members, uh, supporting members of Relay FM, you throughout the year, you gain access to special members-only content. So there is, for example, a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter. There's a variety of uh, 5K desktop wallpapers of the Relay FM show artwork. There is a special monthly podcast uh, crossover show where you have hosts from different Relay shows that are on the show together and talking with uh, Stephen Hackett, one of Relay FM's co-founders. So there's a lot of great stuff that you normally get as part of a Relay FM membership. But in addition to that, because of the celebration of Relay's anniversary this month and even moving into September, there are a bunch of Relay shows, including this one, that are going to be publishing special episodes exclusively for members. So if you join as a Relay FM member, then you'll have access to a feed, which includes all these bonus episodes that different Relay shows are publishing throughout August and September. And we'll be publishing one of those episodes. So despite the fact that we are taking off in a couple weeks, we will still have a special bonus episode that is published sometime in the next month or so, which Real FM members will be able to enjoy. So if you're interested in becoming a member, you can go to relay.fm slash membership. Uh, memberships start at $5 a month. You can support our show directly, or if you'd like, you can support all the great shows that Relay FM has, mm -hmm. and, uh, and we would very much appreciate it. That said, uh, this has been episode seven of Adapt. And if you'd like to sh find show notes for this episode, you can find them on our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash seven. And if you'd like to follow us online, Federico is on Twitter and Instagram as at Vatici. 
That's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. You can find me on Twitter as at IRyan, T-L-D-R. That's I-R-Y-A-N, T-L-D-R. And we're both writing at maxstories.net. Until next time, Federico, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Bye.